Hello and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. My name is Henry and joining me this week on the news preamble, we have Mike and Alicia. So summer's been and done. We're getting into some wonderful autumnal conditions and I've waterproofed everything I own and things are looking up. Alicia, they actually had some pretty spicy weather at the downhill, although it turned out to be okay. They got sun for the race. And I believe you've got all the news to fill us in about what happened with the weekend's racing. Yeah, well, we're getting sort of to the end of the racing this season, but just a little bit more before it's all said and done. And it's actually a lot closer to home right now, now that we're in North America and the racing's also in North America. So kind of cool to follow that way. At the Snowshoe Downhill World Cup, we saw Marine Cabaru back on top, which is really cool to see. And also her second race in a row winning. So clearly she's back in top form and I'm just excited for her. And then we saw Nina Hoffman and World Champ Valley Hole right behind her. So that, yeah, again, just incredible racing on the women's side. And then the men's race was maybe even more exciting with Oshin O'Callaghan taking actually his first elite win, which was also really cool to see, followed by another Irish rider, Ronan Dunn, and then Dakota Norton rounding out the top three. So not 100% Irish, but more than we usually see. So really good for them. I was curious, since Henry, you've been at the racing scene quite a bit, helping out the racers and following along with the entire season. What do you think they're feeling right now as the season wraps up and the pressure's on for one more race? Well, I imagine there's a huge amount of fatigue. It's sort of, I don't know, I think towards the end, the staff have travelled so much, the races have travelled so much, everyone's probably just wanting to, to, to finish off the season. I think you've got some people looking to consolidate positions in the overall, but you've also got, it's sort of contract you know, people that haven't got contracts tied up right now, they're probably starting to feel a bit nervous. Mm-hmm. They're probably just hoping to have one more roll of the dice in Monson and to hopefully get themselves a ride for next year because as we know, the bicycle industry is in a weird place right now. I mean, if you think about someone like Marine Cabaru, her value as a rider has probably quadrupled <laughs> in the last <laughs> in the last two races. And it's amazing to see her take it to Valley Hole, fair and square. And although I know Valley's kind of, she tied up the overall this last weekend and she probably had an, half an eye on that. It was, it's really cool to see women's downhill so healthy. And I think it could be shaping up for a really excellent season next year if we see some of the other players come back fit and strong. Seriously, yeah. I'm excited to see what happens. I think there's a lot of uncertainty right now, but kind of however it shakes out, it'll be pretty interesting to watch. So that's our update on the downhill that just happened. And actually, before we move forward to cross country, we have just a little clip of an interview I did with Charlie Hatton recently. Charlie's actually out injured at the moment, but it was great to talk with him and hear his reflections on winning world champs. And so the written article is going to be on the homepage today. And here's a short excerpt. How do you feel about where downhill racing is right now with the new formatting? Um, At the minute, I think... It's going in the right direction. I think it's becoming a lot more mainstream, which is cool. Um, but yeah, like today we've had a bit of a problem with the juniors not getting to race because of the the weather conditions were bad. Um, I think that's the first time that's happened in a long time. So wow, yeah. I think that's a bit of a shame, really. But yeah, I think it was it was obviously a tough call on their side. They obviously had other reasonings than just the weather. I guess like you got to think as the the marshes up on the hill, you got to think there could be a thunderstorm rolling in at any time. So they there's more than it just looks. I think so. Yeah, they've definitely got mm-hmm. a tough job, and trying to keep everyone happy is definitely not easy. But um, yeah, I think it's going yeah. in the right direction, and yeah, it's good. Do you think it's realistic to have three timed runs for each rider or like qualifying semifinals and finals every time? It seems like a lot of racing, but also potentially cool if you guys can all handle it. Yeah, it's a tough one, I think. Um, at the start of the year, we had like uh, Lenza Hyde, Leo Gang, and they were slightly shorter tracks. And to be honest, I thought the semi mm-hmm. and everything worked really well. I didn't really see it as an issue, but if the tracks are actually longer, like say Valdo Sol, I think by the end of the weekend, you could see some of the riders were getting pretty tired and it looked a little bit sketchy, but yeah, I'm mm-hmm. not sold on the semi-final idea yet. Um, I don't think it's bad, but I also don't think it's great. I'm sort of uh, on the fence. <laughs> that honestly sounds kind of like how I feel about it. Like, yeah. we'll see. 
It might be cool. Might be hard. We'll find out. And so, of course, we also had XC racing this week, so time to fill you in on that, which might even be more interesting to follow than the downhill. We saw Laura Stigger ride an amazing race. She opened a gap early and managed to hang on to that for the whole event, which put her in the win ahead of Loana Lecomte and Martina Berta. And that was Laura's first elite win. She's been really successful in the juniors before, um, but has never been on top of the podium in the elites. So yeah, amazing to see. And then we saw a pretty big showdown in the men's field between Jordan Saru and Nino Scherter, um, ultimately, but the race was actually never really settled until the very end. For a while, Tom Pidcock was leading, and then he got a flat, um, but managed to fight back and actually made it into fifth at the end. At some points, uh, Luca Schwartzbauer was also leading. He also got a puncture. Um, so Scherter and Saru fought it out in the end, and then Marcel Gertini rounded it out in third with Saru in the win and Scherter in second. Um, but moving away from racing a bit, I know, Casimir, you've been on the new SRAM powertrain motor, and I'm curious, could you tell us about that? Yes, I can. First, I want to say how good the racing has been this oh year. Oh my God, we'll it's been good. We'll talk about boring e-bike motors in a minute, but it's so good. <laughs> like the the downhill race has a different winner every weekend. It's so so fun to watch. There's no, and it's so nice when someone's not just completely dominating it. And it's cool to see the young kids crushing it. Or mm-hmm. I mean, how old is Oshin? He's like 21, maybe? No, he's, 20, he's, he's not second old. Or third year elite. He's yeah, not he's not yeah. old because I mean, he's junior world champ not that long ago. So it's I don't know, <laughs> super cool to see young faces up there and it's been very exciting. But yeah, that's my two cents on that. We can move on to the motor now. Uh, yeah, SRAM's got a new motor. It's not exactly, a, it's a SRAM product, but it's also made by Brose. I'll say Bros because I think that comes off the <laughs> tongue easier, but or like Brose. But, um, yeah, so basically it's the same company that makes the motors for Specialized as well. But so... Broza supplies the hardware, and then these other companies supply the software, basically. So SRAM's come up with their own software with this. They've implemented some auto-shift functions in it and tried to make it as easy to use as possible, for better or worse. Well, it makes sense now why they were so keen with that T-type to call it transmission. And every time we call it a drivetrain, people would say, (laughs) it's actually a transmission. And that all makes sense because we want to pretend that bicycles aren't silly. They're actually a serious thing for serious money and serious adults where we have our powertrain and our drivetrain and it's all, God, it's all a bit more serious adults. Yeah. Yeah. Very serious. I'm not not qualified to be that yet. (laughs) No, me neither. But I mean, yeah, so it's out. It's a, I think it's, it's more of a first step rather than anything evolutionary or it is evolutionary i guess but it's not revolutionary you know it's a basically an exist existing motor with some different software on it and um but it does look yeah. quite refined though compared to you know i mean sam are the best at this wireless game you know they're not perfect in every regard um but that wireless system they've got is very very good and they've managed to incorporate the the buttons essentially mm-hmm. which i kind of actually I mean, really yeah. like seeing all these things that seem out of the blue and random and then end up fitting into the system kind of perfectly. Like in hindsight, it's kind of cool to look back and keep being like, oh, SRAM, of course you thought this through. Yeah, well, they didn't think it all the way through though. There's missing some things. There's no 200 millimeter dropper post. There's no 200 mil axis dropper post. (laughs) And so that means that all these people buying these very fancy e-bikes with the SRAM motor, they're gonna be stuck with a 170 reverb axis. And if they wanna run, a different dropper post, they have to put another remote on there. So you'll end up with two remotes on the left-hand side of your handlebars. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which I'm currently is, doing. I mean, what, you know, like, we, we talked about this a lot, because this is one of the things that you and I really are passionate about. I think we only spoke about this for two weeks in Whistle at the Field Test. But it's it's like some bizarre thing. Like, they ca- why can't they just make the... They make a 200mm hydraulic one. Yeah. They can only make a 170. It's like, I don't know. What, why can't they? They've got a factory. Just make them longer. Just make I mean, them longer. I'm, I'm what, they grow in them? Do yeah. they top out? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm 100% positive there is one somewhere that's going to come out. I just have no idea when. And it's definitely, I think the timelines have just gotten a little bit off. You know, I'm sure in their ideal world, they would have one. And this would all make a lot more sense. And they wouldn't have to hear me yeah. complain all the time. But um, I'd, I would love to know the actual reason for like why it's taking so long. But I'm sure there's one in the way. But as far as I can tell, not very soon. So... Yeah, so yeah, that's the inconvenience of this new system. There's also the fact that you can only, it has two modes, rally and range. So basically kind of like similar to trail or turbo or whatever companies, river and 
Rain, and they all have different names for their funny little modes. <laughs> the river <laughs> the, uh, and rain. <laughs> yeah, that's the Fazua has that. When your two e-bike settings are river and rain. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, yeah, Fazua has like earth, wind, and fire or something. It's huh. like that. But, <laughs> oh. Um, yeah, but anyway, so you have the remote. It's nice and easy to reach, and it's the top button you push and switches between rally or range, but there's no way to turn it off which I like to do and oh. some huh. people didn't understand like but I like to turn That's the motor weird. off when I'm on a really steep descent yeah. just so I don't have to worry about like getting that extra little kick of power um it's not a big deal if you really want to you could push the top like the top of the top tube and there's an off button there but it's just kind of seems like a little missed easy thing to have incorporated but I don't know and um how does the I mean if there's one thing that inhibits my enjoyment of riding bicycles cuz it's it's having to shift my gears myself Mm, yeah i it's so hard you know, sometimes ask her for a friend to do it to reach over and just um you know click yeah. my shifter and that's not a euphemism yeah. um <laughs> but other times i have to literally press the buttons myself which i think is something of an outrage sram like shimano are tackling this issue how how do mm-hmm. they how do the two systems compare there this one i'd say is simpler to set up i think they didn't shimano basically opened up if you look at the shimano app and the interface you could spend days it seems like trying to dial in your automatic shifting and and then with the SRAM one it's a little bit easier there's just basically like a plus one or plus two minus one minus two and that affects your cadence so you can kind of decide what your ideal cadence is and that's all that is monitoring it's just deciding how fast you're pedaling so if you're pedaling a little bit slower it's going to shift to an easier gear you're pedaling pretty quick it's going to shift to a harder gear it works kind of i mean it does work if you're on a smoother smoother trails or smoother fire road it's going to hit the shifts pretty cleanly but in technical terrain it doesn't know the terrain ahead so if there's a sudden uphill or a sudden descent it really can't react in time so i think that I, i'm not quite sure where the push for this auto shifting is coming from like i don't personally i haven't had any friends be like man like you henry except you henry uh, no one has said that shifting is very hard to do especially with wireless shifting and, and plus we all have basically one by drivetrains now so you only have to deal with one shifter but it's the thumb yeah. fatigue cause is, is exactly it's basically Very, unbearable yeah if i have to shift one more time my hand is being whittled away to a hoof. see your thumb it's, it's got just a callus on it <laughs> the blisters yeah. i can't take it anymore yeah um, so it's there it does like i said it, it works i just don't know how necessary it is but uh it's a thing you could play with it's kind of novel I, it's it's more novel you know if you're pedaling up a fire road you can put it in that mode and not think about it but novelty is often a precursor to the expectation of luxury, you know, like mm-hmm. what we consider novel now, people then thought, oh, well, it becomes an option, then it becomes a viable option. Yeah. Which shift do you think is better, the admittedly more complex system of the Shimano or the plus one, minus one system of the SRAM for the auto shift, which would you? Yeah, I think you can, I think you can get the Shimano auto shift to work better. I think it just has more possible configurations, so you could make it be more accurate. Um and the way that the shift is actually made on both is pretty close. Like it goes like smoothly. There's not a lot of clunking or clanging. Um, but again, it's, yeah, it's a, a thing. I think, I mean, it's great think, for like for commuter bikes. It makes so much sense. You know, if like you want to put your mom or grandma or something on an e-bike and they don't have to shift and they can get to work without thinking, like it makes so much sense in that realm. I don't really see that it's necessary in mountain biking, but it's, it's here now from the two biggest players. So, And do you think, so there's this trail we spoke about in the podcast before, where both Matt Beer and I have tried to ride on e-bikes. We've tried on the Shimano system, didn't survive. He went up on the Specialized, didn't survive. Maybe the SRAM could finally go for a mountain bike ride <laughs> and not turn into a very drawn-out, expensive hike. Yeah. Um, Alicia, yes. what's, what's your take on e-bikes? You're one of the, you're kind of, I always used to say, you know, you get the school of cars or the disciples of leaving. <laughs> the, the sensible section of pink bike and then the ones like myself who are just absolutely mad. But what's your sensible approach to e-bikes, I imagine? How do you feel about them? To be honest, I'm sort of just on the other side of the road, sort of like watching from a distance to see how it all plays out. I haven't really been riding any e-bikes recently. Um, Actually, in a long time, like I haven't ridden an e-bike in more than a year. And like, Mm. they're cool. I'm glad they exist. I think they're awesome tools and can help you access so much terrain in ways that like we just aren't going to do pedaling. And so... I just don't fall strongly on any side of the fence, really. It's just like, I'm so glad they exist. And also, I put my energy into riding non-e-bikes. Yeah, which is totally fair. But I'm curious to see where they go. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now, um, speaking of riding bikes, we've actually, we sat down to talk about what 
an XC bike really is, as well as where the XC bike is going. It feels like it's one of the more sort of unsettled areas of the sport right now. So this is a quick chat we had to talk about what XC bikes are and quite frankly, where they're going. We hope you enjoy it. Hello everyone and I am joined by Kaz and Dario and this week we're going to talk about every pink bike listener's favourite topic, cross country. Kaz, you are something of a cross country fiend, you're totting around <laughs> in your little lycra. <laughs> what, what's, what's your relationship with cross country like? I can't say, I'm going to say XE from now on in because it's just too painful yeah, to yeah, say yeah. cross country this many times. I'd say I'm a reformed cross country rider. Like I grew up, I mean, from... Most of high school and then a little bit into college. I was, XC was my thing. But you're a full rider, but you had a good binge recently, no? Oh yeah, I binged a little bit this summer, but I didn't wear Lycra though. Yes, been, you did? Did no, you not? No, I was the, I think I was the first place finisher without Lycra. <laughs> if, oh, if, there you, you go. Know, if you parse those your results enough, then you can get your a own league category. of their own. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't wear a chamois and I didn't wear Lycra. I oh, wore no. real short shorts though, which is fun. That was it. Yeah. yeah. They're so short. Well, that you like a 10 quite, inch inseam or something. They're real tiny. Yeah. They're like down country <laughs> shorts from Fox. Yeah. I'll show you short Fox. shorts. Fox. It's like they're gravel on the tight top and then I had no oh, visor yeah. in my helmet. So oh. did you take yeah. the visor off or did you have a visorless helmet? No visorless helmet. I think oh, it's actually shit. a road helmet. That's yeah. what you do. If you're a cool cross country mm. person, you mm. do visorless helmets. Dario, you like cross country? I ran cross country in high school. Did you? And I crossed a country on a bike once, but I would say that my riding isn't necessarily bent towards the cross country style. So you recently did the Downerville Classic. I did, which is kind of. Can you explain what that is and how it might not? How did it match up to your expectations, and what are the expectations around the event to begin with? Mm, um, people, it's it's a weird race. It's a one-off thing in the Sierra Nevada Mountains that is a two-day. I guess you call it a stage race. Day one is the cross country. It's a point to point mass start with like 4,500 feet of climbing over 30 miles, I think. Okay. Maybe 26. I don't remember. Um, you know, a, a, a long pedal. You know, you're racing up, you're racing down. It's just start and finish. And then the second day is a downhill, but that's a f- like 15 mile leg with a thousand feet of climbing in it. So, so it's not really that. It's not really that downhill. Really um, and over that 15 miles, how much ascending think you're doing? 5,000 feet. So I mean, that's not, you drop quite a bit of vert, yeah. but it doesn't feel like you're dropping that much because it's like stretched out over such a long time. And is it single track or is it kind of fire road? Mostly single track with like a couple spurts of fire road. And was it fun? I had a great time. It great was so time. fun. Which did you prefer? Um, the XC was a cool experience. It's nice to like red line for two and a half hours mm. and just like look at the scenery. And it, I had never done a race where you can like, where you can pass like 50 people mm. and that's pretty fun. Yeah. That's a really fun part about cross country. Yeah. That satisfaction of passing and the red line is fun too. Cause you can go for like the whole, you just go as hard as you can. I mean, not quite, but it feels like you're going as hard as you can until the race is over. And you don't mm. normally do that yeah. on your, like a normal ride. You're not going to. Maybe that's true might try it but not that often so. and what what was your dalliance over the summer it was the bc bike race yeah the, the bc bike and race. what kind of setup did you go for did you go full because the bike that you were on which obviously know about wasn't actually as was more cross-country than i was expecting if i'm honest with you yeah i wanted to go it's everything i'd heard is that uh like most of the people at the upper part of the like towards the front of the pack are that's on xc it. bikes yeah throw your new friends under the bus guys what are you <laughs> gonna say about them no, they are going to finish that sentence a bit differently. No, no. Like I actually think like, I thought I was going to go, I, do, I just wanted to see, I was really curious of what a modern XC bike would be like racing. Like I said, I used to race XC 20 years ago. So it's mm. been a long time. I've obviously ridden cross country bikes in the meantime, but to actually get a new modern cross country bike and go to a cross country multi-day kind of stage race and see what it was like. Um, so yeah, I went with full cross country bike ish. I had an Orbea Oys, 120 mil travel front and rear, same frame and general configuration as that, that they're racing on the world cup circuit, but I put, uh, riser bars on it and they were 760, which is narrower than I normally run, but still pretty wide and a 50 mil stem. So it was, that part's probably the real change from an actual cross country bike compared to what a lot of people are running. Um, and then I put some meteor tires on Maxxis forecasters, which are 
Mm. In my mind, they're cross country tires and they'd be good for the race and they were good for the race. But then the top finishers were on Max's Aspens, which are basically like road bike tires with a couple little knobs for show. Yeah, it's yeah. like a slick with some yeah. peach fuzz. It was just yeah. impressive because, I mean, there is a, there's something to be said to running as little tire as possible so you can go as fast yeah. as possible. But it's, because yeah. I, I was, again, surprised. I mean, so I've never done the BC bike race, but I thought it was just a bit techier. It was I, techie. I thought it was going to be like dissector style mm. of tire. Well, like, I think that would actually, like those trails, that's what I would rather be running mm. is a dissector. Like the trails are, some of them are similar to what you'd find in Squamish and some of them more like, um, yeah, there's definitely plenty of technical trails, but there's also, you know, each day would start with a, I don't know, 15 to 20 minute sprint on a gravel road or pavement. Oh so you really want to, you have to go like, hard before you get to the single track so well, then that's kind of start walking the technical features yeah because once and once you're yeah, exactly <laughs> once you're in the single track it's not as easy to pass because there's trees <laughs> yeah that's that's the so is that kind of where the race is made is like that first sprint it's definitely important to get ahead because otherwise yeah. it's just so hard to pass there's most days you, you kind of knew that's how it would go but there was one day where i kind of just didn't get go far enough or go hard enough initially and then i was stuck behind people for that's pretty awesome. much the whole day which, that's how downyville is too it's like yeah. you start with like a 45 minute gravel climb yeah it's tricky and then yeah. you know it's kind of there is a stereotype of cross-country riders can't descend which i think has changed in recent years now you're getting a lot more well-rounded um xc riders but there still mm -hmm. were occasions when i'd come up on someone they're definitely struggling on descent but it's funny how the argument shifted i think at least in a world cup circuit because it felt like the idea that cross-country riders could descend was a real hard fought and hard won argument and then mm -hmm. the road bikers started coming in it was like fresh meat mm -hmm. oh now road bikers can't <laughs> descend <laughs> yeah. right know? Yeah, then we have Tom Pidcock go. going for Rampage, yeah. so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Know, we can all wear many hats. Yeah, but I think, yeah, we'll get in deeper into it more in this conversation, I'm mm -hmm. sure. But right now, the current crop of cross-country riders and even road bikers, it's impressive what they can do on mountain bikes and not, you know, a little bit away from their discipline. Like, yeah. there's riders yeah. that, are, you know, like Christopher, Bre Christopher Blevins. I've seen him do, like, basically tuck no-hander with his seat post all the way up. Yeah. And it's, it's not. I've also, like, yeah, I've, like, seen him ride truly technical trail on yeah. that like a high post yeah it's xc bike very impressive faster than people are riding it on enduro bikes yeah. i have seen someone similar situation but the very trail that i just ridden on my enduro bike came down and it just it broke my heart <laughs> so yeah, just like, oh, man, everything's here i am like worrying about like oh if only i had five mil more stack i'd really clean that section and there's someone there with a mega negative price stem yeah, yeah right <laughs> um so that's let's maybe before we get onto the courses themselves, which I think have changed, and we're going to talk about what we think cross country is in terms of both the tech and kind of the, the trails that it's ridden, what, what World Cup XC is actually like nowadays. But it feels like this cross country bikes really have changed in recent years. For instance, I mean, I think the, the best example is that Scott Spark, mm -hmm. which I would mm -hmm. say is almost a trail bike. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they make a trail version of it that's not that much different. I think the trail right. version has a 130 mil fork, but they use the same frame. Yeah. Um, 120 mils of travel where, yeah, just four or five years ago, everyone was on basically 100 millimeters or 80 millimeters of rear travel. And do you or think- Or hardtail. Or hardtail yeah. too, yeah. yeah, without dropper posts. And now dropper posts are much more common and more travel is more common. Well, that's it. I mean, do you think that the way that it's gone, sort of the, you know, the specialized epic- and the, I always forget the Trek, is it the Pro Calibre, the X Calibre, you know, the, the 60, Super Calibre, the Super Calibre, mm -hmm. sorry, yeah. That's almost kind of trying to replace the hardtail, and it feels mm -hmm. like brands now offering a, um, an XC race bike that might actually have a bit more travel. Do you see yeah. that, I mean, starting with you, Derry, do you think that that's more about what races are demanding, or how to cover off as many bases as possible for the consumer? Mm, like efficiency as a brand, of like, yeah, going like, two birds with like one making stand. bikes that people really want to ride, you know? Because it's probably a bit of both. I think, it is probably what racers want because like, why wouldn't you want a better bike? And in my mind, like something with a bit more travel and like more comfortable geometry is a better bike for like technical terrain. And because the races have become more technical, like they're probably demanding that. Mm. But yeah, at the same time, like the demand, like the consumer demand for something like the Epic world cup or the super caliber, I would think has to be really small. I, mm. I don't know those numbers, but like, I've never seen someone riding one of those bikes. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, we don't live in a place where that's it's true. not exactly like the cross country. Hot yeah. I guess if I was world, in like Boulder or something. Yeah. I think you would see him, but, but yeah, yeah. It, is, it is a more specialized tool where the, right. the ones we're talking about, the 120 bikes can be kind of used as your trail bike, your everyday bikes. Yeah. I think they just wider and, range of uses. Yeah. And I will say that I'm coming at this from like 
I'm going to be like the outsider on this because I don't watch a ton of cross country. And like my idea of a cross country bike is like my tall boy, which is like 120 frame with a 140 fork. And yeah, that's a trail bike, Dario. Sorry. But, but it's, it has really, really light tires on it. But there is something that <laughs> with was, no tread. It does feel like there was a threshold between 120 and 130 is a really big difference in terms of bike. Mm-hmm. That Canyon Euro one that I had on test is 130 mile travel, similar to the Transition Smuggler. Yeah. Vastly different. Very different. The 120 yeah. I had, I suppose, by, this, by the time this comes out, we've got a factor review that I've had to publish. Back mm-hmm. to Lando XC, 120 mil front and rear. Mm-hmm. Vastly different bike for 10 mil of travel. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wildly different. Yeah, like that score 2030 that I reviewed a few weeks ago, it was a 120 rear, 140 front, and that's, but it's a 64.5 head angle, and there's doesn't feel anything like a cross-country bike with a 120, even though the rear travel is the same. So if we can make these XC bikes light enough, why wouldn't they want to have an aggressive geometry, do you think? Well, I think there's limits, and plus that you still have the focus of climbing, and a lot of the races... You know, in a, the races aren't one in the descents. They're one mm. in the climbs. Yes. And so you need to have a bike that's responsive and quick and efficient. And so the priority goes to, to the, more to the efficiency and quick handling there. Well, to get to the single track first, right? Yeah, exactly. So there's yeah. that. And even when you are climbing, like your passes, you're more like you can be passing someone on a climb rather than a descent. Mm. And there's like a lot of courses do have like weird little squiggly short tracky things still integrated mm. where you do want something that has like really really sharp handling so in a way like more traditional geometry benefits yeah that. And, the, and the terrain isn't super steep in most cases you know it's if it's steep it's steep for a relatively short amount of time you're not talking about there are obviously races where you go up for a while down for a while but that's kind of more the enduro side of things where cross country is more rolling yeah i, I think the only thing in cross country that gets me frustrated in terms of the bike design or the bikes that more recently I've tested them and we had that down country field test not so long ago and there were things like the Santa Cruz Blur, the Canyon Lux, which are very much, you know, got their roots in um in true XC. Mm-hmm. But how much heavier does it make it to have proper brakes? Mm, yeah. You know, because even like the XTRs, I think it's interesting, you know, if you just look at the two big ones, you know, SRAM and Shimano, XTR has a very wide remit, even in the single pot. Mm-hmm. The levels until recently, they have a bit of a redesign and they are better, I've, I've ridden them. But it always felt like the SRAM remits were a lot narrower yeah. in terms of what those brakes could be. Yep. I then, don't I don't love those new levels. Do you not? No, but I like it's because a lot of them come stock with like uh organic pads. The organic pads are yeah. garbage. Or, yeah. What is up with that? What do you think know. it is, guys? Noise is the excuse that I always hear is that customers want their bikes or that companies want the customers to not have noisy brakes out of the box. But I don't really have much trouble with noise with metallic pads either. No, especially so, on an XC bike. You're not yeah. like going to get them to howl. No. And where we live, it rains a lot and it tends to be like you need metallic pads. Or you can't stop. So I wish all brakes just had metallic pads and you'd be fine. It's not like they're heavier. Yeah. But we, I mean, maybe, but I think that <laughs> when I first started mountain biking, I did glaze those, I think it's probably the same compound, like the sort of sintered material from Avid as it was then. I always did find they glazed up quite easily. And mm-hmm. I've also heard slightly hmm, um, ambitious, should we call it, arguments to say, well, actually beginners need a, a more gentle power because mountain biking brakes are so powerful now. Yeah, yeah. you could they throw can your own bars. Yeah, so so scary. Into some train lines, it'll be, you know. <laughs> right. It's absolute nonsense, really. I think realistically, organic pads are probably cheaper. Yeah. yeah. Too. I and then so. I guess one thing you also see on the cross-country bikes are the the flat mount, oh, flat mount brakes, which are the, those are on the factory you reviewed. Those, that's what the always has just on the highest level frames though. So the, because it is a little bit lighter. So for people that aren't familiar, it's basically road bike technology used on mountain bikes, but it limits your rotor size typically to a 160, maybe a 180, but in a lot of cases you can't run bigger than a 160 rear rotor. And you can't move away from that caliper. Right. I mean, the, the no. thing that it does mm. have from what I understand is they say there's, I mean, it's such, I, I think it's nonsense personally. But they say that you can basically have more comfort because you don't have to have any metal inserts in the frame. And then the th- and it, oh. so it can be, you can make a more symmetrical rear end and then it can be lighter, blah, 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 blah. But I think that of all the things on a bike that you can kind of just cope with, really good brakes is just, they're yeah. so vital. It's pretty nice. It's pretty key. Yeah. yeah I mean, I ran codes on my Downeville bike. Yeah. yeah I did absolutely. not, I was not like, oh no, that extra. 180 grams is killing me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I'm not going to go on the record saying that XC bikes need codes because I think no, that is I excessive. Just, this is what I had. Yeah, I yeah, had totally. like, I had but a I set. do think most bikes, everything, all trail bikes and that above should have like that level of stopping power. But I think 
you at least need the option to have a stronger brake or at least adjust rotor size I, yeah. even on a cross-country bike yeah i mean right now on that tall boy which is an xc bike um, trail bike <laughs> it's my xc it's bike. a beautiful xc bike as well thank you yeah i think I it looks really, quite good i really like the look of it <laughs> i think it looks really nice you don't know you got a Midas touch when it comes to your staff mm. bikes, Dario. Thanks, Henry. <laughs> Everything you touch turns to silver. Uh, silver is <laughs> the best color. Um, I have a very silver set of brakes in there. I have some trick stuff picolas. Oh, do you really? Mm-hmm. And you'd cool. have to fork over an awful lot of silver in order to mm. purchase them. But they're like really, really light, really powerful, minimalist. Really great. XC brakes, but are also like powerful enough to stop a big bike. So I, I like the, the place the tricks to occupy in that they're very, very, very expensive. Yeah, you know, so many things. But no one has a problem with it, really. It's not, oh, they're not for me, but they are very, very nice. I think that's so cool. That is such, it must be, it's testament to the, the craftsmanship and all the good things. I mean, they're obviously really passionate people working at any company. But I kind of like the fact that I, I just accept that I'm never going to own a set. But I, I know that everyone respects them. Have you ever, have you ever reviewed any guys? Yeah, the Maximax, the Maximus, which is, yeah. they claim is the most powerful brake in, in the, the world, world or something. They are yeah. very powerful. Yeah. I like them. They're a lot, but yeah, they're, yeah, lots of power. But it's kind of neat that the same company is making basically the most powerful brake in the world, but then also these really nice XC, lightweight XC bike brakes. Yeah. The I mean, they are like beautiful objects yeah. as well. The Duratissimo is also a great brake. Mm-hmm. That's actually mm-hmm. probably, arguably in the sweet spot. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I remember when Magura came out with those whatever it is, the yellow ones with the the empty self-tapping wood screws. Yeah, empty sevens. Yeah, <laughs> and um, <laughs> they like were that. so powerful that, and they are very, very powerful. Yeah, maybe not quite on trick stuff, but yada yada yada. And um, World Cup races were cutting grooves in their pads. They were mm. just like, too much, please make it stop, <laughs> make it stop stopping me. Maybe. Huh. Um, cool. So, XE bikes, I think, are in a really good position. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've all read them recently. I think XC courses we're going to get onto, but before I do, I want to talk about maybe you know, sort of your average mountain biker's relationship with this sector of the market and what they think about it. Because for all the sort of doom and gloom around downhill racing, it feels like XC racing is relatively healthy. Yeah. I'd say maybe even before oh, yeah. the discovery thing, I think Red Bull did an excellent job for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe it's just because our audience doesn't care so much. Maybe it's because maybe there's more of a crossover with the traditional road cycling audience. Mm. And also, I mean, there might, might be a whole number of other issues. Do you think XE racing is, is in a healthy state, Kaz? And, and what, you told me something really interesting about the youth development in yeah. America. I think in the United States. as many steroids into the children as yeah, possible. Yeah, the fewer mm-hmm. steroids. That was yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think in the US, it's in a healthier place than it's been in a long time. And like, as far because of NICA, so that's the high school, um, high school race leagues at states like multiple, I don't even know how many states, but a lot of states have them. And there's hundreds and hundreds of kids showing up for these races and they get to, and, and a lot of times it counts as a school sport. So basically mm-hmm. instead of doing varsity football, you can race your mountain bike, which is pretty so, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and unfortunately there's no gravity side of Nike It's just cross country, but uh, you know, you're still mountain biking. You're still getting to do mountain biking for school. So I think that's a, mm. it's just a way to grow the sport at the, you know, from a young age, kids can get into yeah. it. And I think too, like North America is generally like pretty light on cross country relative to the rest of the world. Like you look like as a market, cross country bikes sell really well in Europe and South America, and it's a pretty diminutive thing here. But Americans in the US are quite especially. Cool. You guys are quite cool. Pretty yeah. cool I mean, over here. Yeah, well, I think cool part guys. of it is like there wasn't a huge race scene here for a long time, and like most of the racing is done in Europe. Yeah, well, Norba, I'm older than everybody, so we used to have yeah, cross country. It's been was, a while since I know, those. yeah, like, but yeah, there, there were definitely a lull for a long time. So I think it's cool that the, yeah. that now there's cross country, or sorry, now there's high school cross country racing. I think you have the court, Kate Courtney came out of that program, and we're mm-hmm. starting to see the first wave, um, even now the second wave kind of, of athletes that came mm-hmm. from that are on the World Cup level. But it's interesting because I think in Europe, maybe this is something to do with it. The road team and the road cycling culture is so strong, and obviously we know what road cyclist team or professional road cycling teams want so they want someone that can do an incredible watts per kilo mm-hmm. and it means that the XC teams have to pay athletes better because mm-hmm. road is such a viable option no one's going to go pinching like Bruni from a road you know what I mean yeah but they've got right. such a transferable skill and road cyclists get paid so well there that it mm-hmm. really means that it's a very viable it's a viable sort of career in a mm-hmm. way that maybe 
other disciplines or in other parts of the world. It's just not the case. Um, there's something I heard that was really cool, you know, probably as in the same generation that sort of Nino Scherter and Yolanda Neff were coming through. They basically changed the way they did grassroots junior racing in Switzerland. And you, qu- you got your qualifying place off a trials course on the Saturday oh, on cool. the, in the same bike in the same kit. And so that's one of the reasons they say that some of these Swiss riders were just great technical because they had to be. So right. they were never that's ever. Cool. Yeah, I thought it was a really great idea. Yeah. But it sounds like mm. the USA approach maybe is more risk averse. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I think so. From what I've heard, basically they don't want the kids to be hitting jumps or over a certain size. There's kind of like limitations of what they're allowing the kids to do during practice because there's that feels very un-American. Maybe we're freedom very, jumps, Kaz. Yeah, but we're a litigious Big society. Jumps, yeah, we shredding. Like, we also like suing people. Right. Oh, yeah. 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 So that's little, such an interesting thing. If little Johnny gets hurt at huh? practice, you know, mom huh? and dad might sue the school, and that's a whole thing. So unfortunately, there's that, but. Um, freedom. some mountain biking is better than none. Freedom no ain't free, biking. Henry. Yeah, freedom's not free. There's freedom, other. but there are limits. <laughs> Easy now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I think that's why you're not seeing as much gravity happening on the uh, or mm-hmm. gravity oriented side of the sport happening at the high school level. Mm-hmm. Hopefully someday, I think it would be nice. But again, the nice thing with cross country is you can pretty much do it any state, any terrain. Yeah. Where not everyone has a downhill course in their backyard. Very true. But what do you think then? I mean, you know, if we think about a child's approach to it. How old is a kid when they can start risking? Are we talking legal age? Because, you know, you see some kids ripping about Whistler Bike Park, right? Yeah, you see, yeah. I'm not saying, obviously, I know there's a, like a litigious aspect. There's so, so much more. But it's an interesting thing. Like, when is um, a child's ability within realms of the risk it can take? Yeah, I think, it's, I mean, it's tricky. I mean, because you have, you know, BMX racers start super young and they're hitting big jumps and things. And I think that, yeah, I just think it's how Nike has governed it. I, you know, I, I want to say I, don't, I haven't looked at all the rules and how it all works. Yeah, I just yeah. know that in general, it sounds like from well, speaking. You and I, one of our shared interests is disliking children. Do you <laughs> yes. know what I mean? I, I'll jump in on that as <laughs> well. Yeah, yeah, they're awful, eh? They're awful. They're <laughs> no, just like, I like dogs, kids. I just don't want any work. of my own. Yeah. yeah. If you can give them back, they're fine. Oh, I just don't need yeah. them in my life at the moment. Yeah. yeah I like I didn't, they stress me out. I'm, I don't know how to talk to children. Oh. I, do, you not have, do you have any siblings? Mm-mm. Oh yeah, oh, I'm the oldest that, of yeah. seven, so I know what to do with kids. Yeah, Rock, yeah, true. You put them in closets. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I'm, good. I'm down for like a good game of like hide and seek or yeah. something like yeah. that. So as yeah, long as I'm they're... awful, eh? I had I told my nieces and nephews like really, you know, we really like each other. I just said like, just so you know, like if you want to watch like a film and just come hang out, I'm your guy. If you want to play, it's not you, it's me. I don't like that like confrontation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just come on over. We'll watch like. uh I don't you know. can watch LA Confidential. Yeah. <laughs> watch Full Metal Jacket with Uncle Henry. It's going to be great. Yeah. No, I like kids. Yeah. Like I have nieces and nephews that are, they're at cool ages where they're learning how to mountain bike now. Oh. It's like that. And there are, in Bellingham where I live, there's been pretty neat kids programs that get them into biking and figuring that all out. Because I wonder what, sorry, I don't have to go too much into this, but I wonder what the governing body relationship to skiing is like, because ski racing is a really big thing. Mm. Yeah, that's you true. Know, they'll gladly take your you know, 10 year old out, make him have an asthma fit in the outside to get him a, yeah. a gun for the XE racing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wonder what the, uh, wonder what the relationship's like there. I think part of it is, as Kaz was saying, like access to terrain is mm. maybe different. Like when you have a ski hill, like there's a lot of money around that and like excitement and it's as much a hobby thing as it is a pursuit race wise. And so like maybe with cross country, it's a little bit more like a traditional sport, mm. like training specifically for it. You need the equipment, you need the trails. And there are more and more and more trail systems all over the place, but mm. there isn't necessarily like an equal amount of interest. Because I've heard of a little town, best riding in America, Bentonville. Yeah. Best riding in the whole North America. Yeah. Supposedly so. The capital of the world. Yeah. I haven't been there yet. No. I haven't been there. Apparently I wonder how the Bentonville here. High School mountain bike team is. Imagine quite well supplied. Probably, yeah, they're probably, probably nice right. Bikes. Yeah. Probably a lot of trails, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're um, all riding the Ventum, right? That's their brand. The uh, Viathon. Viathon. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so we've got the bikes. We're kind of settling that maybe the days of, I wonder if a cross-country World Cup will ever be won by a hardtail mm. again. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe short tracks. I think short tracks, I think swimming yeah. bikes are short tracks are lame. I think you should make your bed and line it. <laughs> Do you know <laughs> what I mean? I mean, it'd be hard to police, but I don't know. Give us some stickers. Put, yeah. People, they love putting stickers on people's wheels. And the fact that you can swap out a shock for a bit of like a fancy oh, for the hard 3D printed yoke yeah, is nonsense. Yeah, it is silly. Yeah. I do want them to have short track racing at Crankworks though. 
This is one of my things like I invented. We had a podcast that didn't happen because I don't know what happened. It didn't record. Yeah. yeah. Something, yeah. A memory oh, card or whatever. But I think that cross country has such potential. Like if anyone's ever watched a, a road bike crit race, like that happens in a city, it's pretty entertaining for even just the average passerby. It's like, oh, yeah. what's happening? People are racing. You get to see them come around again. But I think something like Crankworks, I think there's ways to make cross country cool because it actually is, it's a cool thing. You're riding oh. a mountain bike as hard as you can. And so if right. you made like a neat little course at Crankworks, get some good athletes I mean, out there. I'd watch yeah. that over speed and style, which I is agree, not cool. But there aren't <laughs> enough people in baggy jeans that get caught in chains. Yeah. That's what Crankworks wants. Yeah. I mean, you could do both. It could be like a, you have to wear Jinko Just, jeans, cross country <laughs> yeah. crit race. The famous Whistler friction burn. Right. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Yeah. But then I think it becomes normal. If you saw people wearing cross country outfits and things and people are like, that's what they do. That's how it works. I saw a guy in the park today wearing a cross country outfit. Yeah, anyone he asked me it. where to go. And I said, uh-huh. well, you have either Duffman or Renegade. Yeah. I don't know if you want to ride either of those, but <laughs> I'm so tired. Nice walk. When you said park, I thought you meant like, like a recreation ground. <laughs> yeah. I was at the playground while you guys were running laps. Yeah, doesn't like kids, but he hangs out at the playground. <laughs> I'm just trying to get some calisthenics in. I'm doing pull-ups. Yeah. You're that guy, no shirt, just doing push-ups yeah, exactly. pull-ups in a little kid park. I think it's like only acceptable in New York City. It's Maybe, like the only yeah. place you're allowed to do that. Yeah. Otherwise, it's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree for what it's worth. I think, I think XE racing is very exciting. The crowds, they get absolutely huge. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Fundamentally, I think it's probably a bit more solvent. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, viewership downhill. is bigger for XE than it is for downhill. Like, Oh God, yeah. We like we forget that because, like, yeah. I mean, I, I do because I watch downhill and like pink bike is mostly downhill. But then globally, yeah, it's like huge, huge My, numbers for Rexy. I'm pretty sure I maybe I had NDA attached. Basically, I got shown the viewing figures once, which obviously I definitely mm. won't tell you about as soon as the recording stops. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would never do that. No, no, no. But I would never um, even listen. Yeah, it's quite stark. Yeah, yeah, like not mm. not a little bit. Yeah, but um, oh. yeah, I mean, it's not. But yeah, I mean, I think it's hard as well. Do you think there'd ever be a world, a crazy world where you could make something like enduro bike tech? <laughs> Can we fix enduro while we're at it? I know. Yeah, that's <laughs> Can we a put thing. it in a loop around yeah. a city center and make it cool? Yeah, That'd I mean, so I think you hard. can make, I, I'm a huge fan of hard cross country. You know, I think it's great that the courses are getting harder and in my ideal kind of cross country race is more of a big kind of all day loop type thing, which mm-hmm. that's obviously kind of a different discipline. But I think when those kind of events, people like to do that when, when just finishing is an accomplishment, you know, say it's a 50 mile course that right. takes you five hours or something. It's hard, but it's suited to a cross country bike. I think that's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just I a mean, fan of making it more technical. But those and, are more like participant fun. Like that's yeah. why like Donnyville was a fun time. Yep. It's like, you feel like you did a big ride, even if yeah. you just did it, but it would be really hard to, to make that a, yeah, you can't do it television yeah. thing. But I think for the short track things, and I think just like cross country is nice because it's not that hard to convince people that it's interesting. You know, if you tell mm, someone that's right, never, say right. someone doesn't know anything about bikes and you go up to them like, hey, these people are racing their bikes. It's whoever goes, does five laps first wins. Like that makes sense. Done. I've yeah. tried to explain enduro to people that no, don't. It doesn't oh, make like, 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 well, yeah, Everyone and, climbs together. Yeah. And there's like loose cutoffs that are kind of hard to make, but not really. Yeah. And then you coast as fast as you can down. Right. It's like rally car. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Rally car racing, but not really. But someone keeps saying that that's related and it doesn't. It's, yeah. it's when you latch onto the rally car racing and they don't know what rally car racing is. Right. And then before you know it, you're like, so basically they're not production cars, but they kind of are because they have to sell, sell a set of toys. <laughs> always use this thing called Class B and yeah. they're like, we yeah. can't have that anymore. Yeah. 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 Basically, think- it's really, it's really, even, even downhill. Yeah. Because the person that comes to the bottom Oh, they've won then. Oh, man, no. Not yet. <laughs> it's all, and the qualifying, trying to explain qualifying, the, yeah. no one knows the protective oh, yeah. system. Well, well yeah, I don't even understand that. But I mean, like, you can be like, it's the person who gets down this specific track the fastest. Like, yeah. that's pretty easy to understand. No, that is pretty easy. But then you've got so many other elements that we take for granted, like, oh, but the course is drying. Oh, what does that oh, mean? Right, yeah. Oh, right, sure. Well, yeah. Basically, the person that's went earliest is now probably going to have an advantage. Oh, okay. So how can they choose to go earliest? Well, we, we do this thing that's not a race yesterday, right. where basically like 120 people really try and qualify. Right. Yeah. And they get points for it, but they're not the big points. Yeah. They're like the, yeah. the, the, the fun point. It's just nonsense. And it's not cool to try too hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think, that's f- I mean, what's funny. that to say? I mean, all, all my criticisms about things that needed to change in downhill and to make it better. I mean, fuck the way it, 
the I, I don't think I don't think downhill is in an immediate quandary about like oh it's going to blow up in our faces mm. but I think what you're going to see is that riders are becoming disenchanted in the same way that three years ago they started becoming disenchanted at EWS and it looks like what well, you know rumours going around and stuff that that, that the, it's the that sounds really lame but the excitement and the the stoke and all that mm-hmm. sort of business it really helps drive a series yeah. for sure yeah. yeah yeah you want motivated riders and motivated fans and when it all just kind of gets a little bit sour nobody everyone just stops caring companies yeah, stop right. caring athletes stop caring and your fans can tell too if there's no coverage or they can't find yeah. they can't find anything that's interesting about the discipline they think they're interested in is yeah. no point I mean like it. both XC and downhill benefit from like being repeatable where you can like go to the same tracks every year and like the racing is interesting regardless where like the to use the term, the spirit of enduro is all about like going to new places and like riding blind, and that just hasn't been pursued by the governing body. But also, the spirit of enduro was underpinned by the mass participation side, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so like making it this elite thing kind of squashes any yeah. of that interest. It's just in Europe, pretty much too. So it's right. again, like you're, I mean, next year is one hundred percent European. Ride. There's one non-Europe, the very final one. Oh, really? Yeah, is it, it here? It just says not Europe. Wow, are you yeah. serious? Yeah. <laughs> like, we'll find... There's yeah. got to be somewhere else out there that has mountain biking. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I just think XC has... Even as... Say you wanted to be a grassroots race promoter, XC is a lot simpler. You know, you just True. find your course. Obviously, race promotion is not easy, but you just want to have your local race. You find the course, you get the permission, get all the things, and then they just race right there. And yeah. that's it. And you that's, can even do it like a little alley cat. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. like a guy in our town was doing like Tuesday night crits on little like short track things in yep. Galbraith. Mm. And so that's cool. Yeah. It's like so easy to organize. You just show up. So boom. easy to view and spectate as well mm-hmm. because you can see the bang for buck you get as a spectator. Yeah. You get to see Nino Shirt or Thomas Pidcock ride past you five times. Yep. Right. Not once going really quick. Yeah. In a bit of the track that you're probably walking between trying to get to the good bit uh-huh. anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting. I think down, not to constantly bang on about downhill, but just something you touched upon then about riding the iconic courses. Mm-hmm. I think that downhill, something's really cool has happened in the last couple of years where. The tracks are good, but we're also going back to the same tracks. Mm-hmm. Before mm-hmm. it'd be like, well, they're boring and we come back every year. Yeah. But mm-hmm. now it's like, it's kind of like these iconic tracks. Like who'd have thought Leergang would be yep. now be like, wow, the Leergang World Cup track, huh? Yeah. It's one of the, I think that's one of the few rule changes that actually was for the better. The one that says that each year the track now has to have a certain amount new in it. Right. Oh, really? Yeah. It's yeah, like, it's like a percent change. Two years ago, maybe they put that in. So now, yeah, no matter what, when you come back to the one you've been to before, they have to have at least... So it's got like the greatest hits. Yeah. Got, so like yeah, Leger just got like retaped, yeah. but like Leo Gang like rebuilt new sections yeah. and like yeah, it's always different. Like like Fort William this year had like a whole new section through the yeah. woods. That, yeah. That's cool because actually I want to actually go on record now because I criticized the Ludenville Ludenville mm-hmm. track because it looked awful when I saw POV of it way before the event, mm-hmm. but that was actually bloody great. Oh, yeah. And I just want to publicly acknowledge <laughs> I was completely wrong and I don't know what I'm talking about. First time and. First time ever that I've been wrong about anything. And it's a big moment for me. Yeah. So, um, fan record now. Yeah. But Darius, about time we talk about that beautiful bike. <laughs> for all of those who don't understand, Henry thinks my staff ride bike is ugly. I mean, and I'm only a little bit hurt by that because I think it looks very cool. You know, that's important. It's what it matters. It's like, makes Bitcoin. me happy. <laughs> yeah. I look in my garage. I'm like, wow, oh, look at that thing. I love silver on bikes. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, me jewels. Um, so what should an XC, XC track be like then? I'm actually hopefully, I mean, I haven't put my ticket yet. I shouldn't be able to ride it unless you're rocking a DHR in the back. Yes. <laughs> no, I don't believe that. That would be crazy though. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Monsanto and World Cup's coming up. I need to put my ticket out there. I'm going to go just harass everyone with podcasts. Mm. But um, that is a good track. That's got some steep climb. Even the climbs yeah, are yeah. brutal and this, yeah. that, and the other proper and it gets wet fun. and slimy yeah. and like yeah and october could be exciting here yeah, it could be snowing on yeah <laughs> <laughs> the snow tires. yeah yeah the hr2 might actually yeah come well, along. that's why they like max has released that new severe that's like yeah. kind of like meant for that race almost oh, really? yeah it's like a mud xc tire wow yeah we'll see Although, have you seen it in real life if you it, it's if, if you come from the endurance bike world, it doesn't no, look it's, like it's a, not that severe. No. <laughs> but it's yeah. more severe than some things. Like a yeah. stern talking to more than a severe yeah, exactly. telling off. It's right. like a, yeah. a wag of the finger. <laughs> <that must've been. laughs> um, so what do you think people, I think viewers now are understanding that XC is technical. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, even when it's not that technical, if you're going 
if you're redlining, going really, really hard mm-hmm. through flat, mm-hmm. grassy turns, yeah. anything can happen. Um, do you think XC tracks need to be fun? Like, what, what are we actually trying to establish here? What is it? Is it the most, is it the, the most I mean, talented mountain biker? Is it just someone that can ride on their river? Like, what, what are we trying to establish? Yeah, I mean, I think you want that mix where someone just, I think you want a track where someone just can't be that, like, stereotypical road biker that doesn't know how to ride a mountain bike. Right. Shouldn't be able to win the race. You mm. need some bike handling skills. So I think that's where like the technical climbs you're talking about, some descents that are you know more technical, maybe some little rollers or drops or that type of thing. Um, and there's not a one of them that doesn't look like somewhat fun. Yeah, there's like always something to do. No, they, I mean they always yeah. look. I think they actually look pretty yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean I think modern XC is actually great. I, I love riding those little kind of canyon neuron esque bikes, mm-hmm. those down country bikes. They are mm-hmm. absolutely great. Yeah, I um, think I have an idea. Go on. How we could fix it. Even though it's not broken at all, um, an omnium where you have a separate category. You can like have downhill still the same, XC is still the same, but you have an omnium category where people have to race both downhill and XC mm. at each. And that's it. That's the only. That's as far as my idea goes. But it'd be yeah. kind of interesting to see how like people bias towards downhill versus XC. Like if their bike setup is different, like On the how same they bike. would train. That no, it should, no, it shouldn't be the same bike. No, because then you do it on a 150 mil bike. Yeah, but then the downhill course wouldn't be as fun to watch. And then the XC yeah, would, it would still be pretty exciting. Imagine watching someone with like recons, like racing yeah, at Mont Saint. Like, we don't want to hurt the athletes too much. Well, no, like, but like. What about if you had a minimum weight you've got to hit across two bikes? So you've got okay. to have like, say, 30 kilogram of bike. <laughs> I know some of that. They got oh, like twenty five. Oh, yeah, okay, you can decide you see which I mean? way about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be kind of interesting. And you could go over, yeah. of course. I do like the idea, of like the overall title. Like you know, you meet world champion, but if you were like the world champion of XC and downhill, that'd mm. be even more prestigious. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. There's a way to do it where it's like a funky combo thing, because yeah. like, and maybe yeah, maybe it is on the same. Yeah, bike. I mean, John Tomac used to do right. He would do cross country and downhill, and I it's probably held both titles at the same time. I can't remember, but yeah. maybe. I mean, his mountain bike weighed probably, what, 22 pounds? Yeah. Why does mine weigh 35, Kaz? Drop post. You have a real We're all riding the same trails, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, one thing we haven't mentioned is the cyclocross word. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that there is a, in road cycling, they kind of do have that. That's you know, true. You, you get some people mm-hmm. that win, win, dare I say, both. Although cyclocross does Well, look, I mean, or, and yeah. cross country, like Vanderpool has done like everything. Yes. Yeah. And that's kind of fizzled in the US lately, it seems. Not sure. I'm not sure of the state of cyclocross. It's doing pretty well in the Northwest. I mean, yeah. like, well, it used to be bigger. I mean, it just kind of goes, it comes in waves, I guess. And now everyone has gravel bikes. So maybe it'll gravel come bikes. Yeah. I don't have cool. a comeback think, now. Yeah. Oh, no. See, I think, I think cross bike, like mid aughts was peak. Cool. Oh, I should, I was being ironic. Oh, uh, okay. Think, thank God. Yeah. No, no, no. It's, you're, you're all good. I mean, I think that, <laughs> I think that, um, I actually thought you were serious. Bro. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I mean, I think, um, I think that cyclocross fundamentally, is kind of, I, I think it's, a, it's great racing. I think it's very interesting, but it is pretty Euro. It's quite mm. kind mm-hmm. of nerdy. I mean, I think it's quite charismatic and eccentric yeah. and very fun. It's another great fan sport though. I mean, that's another mm-hmm. example. You can just do that in a, a abandoned soccer field. Basically. Oh, it's, it's so fun to heckle yeah. at a cross race thing as well. Is to kind of heckle and it's, everyone's there. It's close. You can see the same person go by six so times. Yeah. I love the races that are so, because obviously it's done in winter and they're so muddy. People just, they have two bikes. Yeah. Just to jet one off, just mm-hmm. to kill the mud. Yeah. Just because yeah. they get so heavy. I know that's, I think there's something brutal about cyclocross. Yeah. Some other sports don't necessarily get close to within cycling. Yeah. I think a lot of people who like race all sorts of stuff, like generally decide that cross is like maybe the hardest mm. one. Cause it's just like gutting yourself for an hour. Yeah. Yeah. That's as running in it and running's really hard. Right. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. That just seems mean to be honest yeah. with you. Well now you have the, the better riders that can bunny hop the barriers. Right. But, that's but sometimes it's like a it 20 stair work. and you yeah. can't clean that <laughs> yeah. necessarily. The point guy just trying to do it and everyone's yeah. running past him. But, right. Yeah. Because um, recently whilst t- testing this factor about in Squamish for those that have um, had the chance to ride there, there is a trail called um, Leave of Absence, which to me represented what I've seen on XC World Cup tracks. Mm-hmm. But to some people, I think and some people, I mean, not to bag, it's just the fact, some people find that as like a, a challenging trail to ride on, maybe a trail and enduro bike, like, you know, maybe mm. less experienced riders. You've ridden that trail, Kaz. Mm-hmm. Would you agree that it's probably indicative of what you'd find on a World Cup? I've, the way I think about it is like flowy corners with some technical sections, which were largely straight, they didn't have any mm-hmm. particular move in. It would be over a crest into then into maybe a couple of turns, whatever. Yeah. 
Um, but what do you think? Yeah, I think it, I mean, I think that's a fine bike or fine trail to test an XC bike on. I think it kind of depends, but I think like that's, what's nice about having a, I'm trying to think how to phrase this. XC is different everywhere, but I think it just, mm-hmm. you know, the, the overall idea is that you're, you know, equal amount up and down. It's not like super, yeah. everybody should be able to ride it. It's just a race. It makes it harder. I think. Yeah. Yes. Like XC exactly. where I grew up is like pretty flat buff trails you pedal as hard as you can mm-hmm. up and down really and it's like mostly just how many how much power can you put out all the time right. mm-hmm. but like here we're in whistler like xc is like comfortably numb yeah which, which is, is way more fun yeah and i grew up on the east coast which is more not as steep as here but we have tons of roots and it's kind of more techy and it's a little bit slower speed but yeah that's what's kind of nice about it xc is i don't know i just like the different flavors of courses and trails and mountain biking is fun to begin with so excellent so much fun great if anyone's at home listening and thinking that i know i mean there definitely is a section of riders I mean, like i said we're in whistler that have never done cross country they've just come from downhill and, mm-hmm. and bled into the sport that way mm-hmm. i mean that's such obviously a, a, just a valid way as any but if ever you get the chance go ride a real yeah fast xc bike oh, or, yeah. or whatever you can get your hands on yeah i just have a good so point yeah so there's lots of people out there that are considering buying an e-bike just because it seems like it makes everything mm-hmm. easier and better. Try an XC, an XC bike. bike. Like it's so, I mean, I, I get this sometimes because I ride all of the bikes, but if I hop on a XC bike, it's always crazy how fast you can go when you're not yeah. 10 pounds off your normal bike or whatever. But well, I think, sorry. Go I was I like last week did like, I rode the Slash, my tall boy and the Slash and then my tall boy again. And like the, the shocking difference in climbing speed between those two is, wow. yeah. it's a revelation. Yeah. It goes <laughs> so fast and that's it what's is, fun. So, so much quicker. Um, I mean, I also think that XC bikes, from our point of view, we obviously get this chance to test out and review different bikes. I think it's one of the more interesting areas right now. Mm-hmm. I think it's something where rapid development is. We were talking about just the other day. And um, e-bikes, I think a lot of interesting things going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in this kind of crop of bikes we got in this year's field test, it was more of a mix. It was a very mixed bag, actually. And I'm, I'm really, I think you've done a great job, Kaz, you know, putting these bikes, these bikes together. Um, but yeah, it feels like XC, there are some really interesting things. The down country thing, I think, is mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool pretty indeed. Cool. But yeah, like it's another one of those ones people love to, just because the name is kind of silly, but that's the, Maybe that's these kind of shorter travel is. bikes make so much sense for so many people around the whole world that mm-hmm. it's like, you know, mm-hmm. if you could only have one bike for a lot of people, it probably should be the shorter travel. For sure. Kind of it trail makes like XC mundane trails more fun yeah. as well. Yeah, next, I can't wait till mixed wheel down country bikes come out. It's only a matter of time. Yeah, the 5010. Is that a downcountry bike though? No, it's no. a trail bike. Yeah. yeah, and it's kind of, that's, yeah. that, and that is cool. You know, you'll be there just doing yeah. ollies. Yeah, and you're in the 51. <laughs> your, your, your XC and, bike. Yeah, yeah stump yeah. grinds. Yeah. And, yeah. and on that horrifying image, I think it's mm-hmm. probably a good place to leave it. Thank you both for your time. Um, Pleasure. We'll see you out on the XC trails. I'll be the guy in the see-through spandex. Oh yeah, I'm going to wear my heart rate <laughs> Some intervals now. <laughs> Well, I think you say Hartley wanted one just to see me in the spandex. Oh, well, yeah, we'll do that too. We'll see what happens. We're peaking. <laughs> Thanks, guys. So, welcome back in the room. Now, this week we've got a question from Pink Bike user Silver Stanctions, and they say, Question for the podcast. Great start. Are you ever going to start answering readers' questions again? I miss that. Well, we still do. It's just if you put them on the podcast, it's sort of like chicken and the egg thing. We did do a time where we were answering less questions. And then so people started stopped putting the questions on the podcast article, which then meant we had less questions to answer. But if you get your question on the podcast article, I will do my best to include at least one in the episode. And we get onto their actual question which is they'd be interested in hearing our kind of navigation setups, especially in unfamiliar territory. Dario once briefly mentioned Strava on the podcast, and he says, who even uses Strava? In my neck of the woods, it's 95% trail forks. Um, Kaz, you're going somewhere new and exciting. You've got your $15,000 e-bike, and you've pretty much taken the right-hand shifter off. You don't need it for the weekend. <laughs> which le- leaves your hand free to scroll through trail forks strava heat maps and the like to track down just about the best trails if you're going to a new area what would you how would you find the good stuff yeah i mean trail forks is definitely useful for a new area and i use gaia a lot too um just the combo obviously these are both companies that 
they're all under the pink bike umbrella, the outside umbrella. I don't know. So I don't want this to seem as like a paid promotion, but those are the ones that I've found to be the best as far as having mountain bike trails and trail forks is nice. Cause you can kind of see pictures and videos of the, the zone that you're in and kind of decide if the trail looks like it's worth it. Um, yeah, those are kind of the two. Do you, do you record on Strava? I do. Yeah. I record my rides on Strava just because it kind of helps me keep track of how many miles I have on a bike and how often I've been riding. Cause sometimes I forget. And then I realize that no wonder I'm tired because I rode so much. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. And Alicia, how about you? Do they have like a paragliding equivalent to trail forks? Is that a thing? Mm, actually, yeah, sort <laughs> of. They do oh. have them. Less in the convenient app form, more in the website you have to sort of painfully navigate. Um, but yeah, I have resources for paragliding. I also do use trail forks quite a bit. Um, I've been becoming more of a fan of just Google Earth, even though that doesn't really show you people's behavior around the terrain, but definitely shows you the terrain. I'm just going to stick with the trail forks. I'm going with the paid promotion thing just because also, yeah, it works. Yeah, I don't really use Strava. Yeah. I technically have a Strava account um, and sometimes record like private activities, but don't really like do very much publicly on there, which I think is right for me. Like I don't really, I just don't really feel the need to put it out there, but yeah, mostly trail forks. Yeah, I, I have my Strava on, on private, super private mm -hmm. with... I think I've got some weird name oh. as my thing. I do yeah. have my so name. If you ever it see is still linked to me from a few years ago. 150. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, nice. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, for me, I think Trailforks is really good. Like you said, we do have an affiliation with Trailforks. Then again, we're so unprofessional, no one would pay us to do an advertisement like this anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, it's all about no, you can also just go is, into a bike shop too. Like if you go to a new town, Talking go to a bike to, shop yeah. and if you find the right one, you could talk to people. And that's it's it's hard to do talking in real life. I know that, you know. It is difficult, very difficult. Yeah. I would say um tours from friends are a much better resource for me than looking at any app anywhere. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I heard the new SRAM e-bike system has a button that automatically makes an acquaintance. <laughs> it's like and find a friend. Bam, you're in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Done. Just drive yeah, you right um, to you know, it's like, it's kind of like unfashionable. You don't maybe find out some super secret Lomas or whatever. But when I go to a new area, I just go on the Trail Forks most popular route mm -hmm. and just accept that I'm just going to ride like some well-maintained trails somewhere cool. And yeah. I just, just do that. It's great. It's easy. Yeah. Um, moving on, we've got our music corner, which is very exciting because it's the one part of the show that we pretend we genuinely have personalities outside the bikes. <laughs> and um, we just hope that people believe us. <laughs> <laughs> um alicia do you want to hit us with yours sure time to pretend i have a personality outside of bikes um today i'm going to recommend <laughs> a youtube video there's a band called the scary pockets which as far as i can tell is just like a rotating kind of amorphous group of people who mostly just cover other music mostly um non-funk songs but covered in funk versions and so I think it's pretty cool. I think they do a lot of cool stuff. And my favorite singer they have is a lady named India Carney. So I'm going to recommend their cover of Yesterday by the Beatles featuring India Carney by Scary Pockets. I've got some trivia about the song Yesterday, which is probably wrong. Oh. I'm going to just do it anyway. I believe that Paul McCartney, he was humming that song and he was saying like, you know, what is this song? It's so great. And everyone was like, no, it's, <laughs> it's not one before. And he actually then ended up writing it subsequently. He had this melody stuck in his head. Interesting. Um, and he thought he thought it was a pre-existing song. Um, Kaz, last week you you had some unkind words to say about my wholesome Rick Astley <laughs> avenue. It was just a little too much. What I'm not a huge Foo so Fighters fan and I'm not a huge Rick I'm Astley huge, fan. Like, I, 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 I watched it and it was fine. Fan. Like He did a good job with the cover it's fun. and it was good. <laughs> it was good. So like, I yeah. can't. Yeah, like it's fine. I can appreciate it, but it wasn't. Um, but my song is not Rick Astley today. I've got, there's a new album out from an artist named Jay Lynn, and she does kind of electronic uh, sort of beats, just instrumental. And let's see, the album name, I'm forgetting already, just came out. It's called Perspective. Um, so it's a new EP from her, and I'll pick the song that I think is my favorite, and we can toss that in the description. But just kind of like really neat electronica. I've been into it. Oh, nice. And my submission is actually a, I mean, this is going to sound really pretentious. Kaz, you're going to want to puncture this and who can blame you? There's this guy called Kishibashi and he's done this 
so he does sort of like like chamber pop but there's this thing called new deco i have no idea what it is but this amazing amazing live version of this song i'm the antichrist to you and these people are just so fucking good it's so tight it's just amazing and i just it blew me away i thought it was absolutely exceptional no, that's cool i like Gishibashi. Um, it's crazy how talented that guy is yeah the, he's so good yeah, it's crazy yeah dude it like honestly the vocals in this are just amazing like amazing and it makes you realize like how talented like classically trained musicians are and how good they are at their craft right um and i think we're gonna leave it there thank you very much for listening to another episode of the pink bike podcast and we'll catch you next time